You're listening to the Sunday morning message from Clouds Creek Baptist Church. Join us for worship Sunday morning at 11. Or for more information, visit cloudscreek.org. So if you've been following along with us, we're in uh, 1 Corinthians. I, I almost said the wrong name because we've gone through two of, different, two different of Paul's books in Sunday school. So it's like Colossians, Galatians, 1 Corinthians. It's just all of them are like merging into one. And there's similar messages, which I think is interesting. Uh, but we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 this morning. So if you're following along, I know uh, Devin pointed out earlier, it was a big swing and a miss that I didn't plan on us being in 1 Corinthians 13 for Valentine's Day. Uh, so that's on me. We, we said probably the snow, right? Like if we hadn't had the snow, maybe we would have been a little more on track, but I didn't. So uh, this week we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and we are going to be picking up in verse 1. Um, how many of you guys don't like change? A lot of, a lot of y'all. I, I'm the same way. I do not like change. I wish every day I could just have the exact same routine. How many of you guys have almost the same routine every single day? Anybody? I love it. It's the, I, make, I make the same lunch for me every day, and then I might do that for like a year or two, and then I'll change it up. And I'll be like, okay, it's time. I got to change up what I'm doing. This is not. And then I'll leave it the same way for another two years, right? And it's the same, but it's the same idea. I, I don't, I wish I could be like a, like a cartoon character who wears the same clothes every day. Like if I just had my whole closet was just the same, like 30 of the same shirts, and like seven of the same pants, because you wear pants multiple times. We all know that, right? And so like you just, I wish I could just dress the same way every day. I wouldn't have to think about it. That's the thing for me. I don't like to have to think about when I, I just want to go. I just want to be able to get it and go. But sometimes change happens, right? Like this morning, we changed the service. And I'm sure a lot of y'all are like, well, I'm supposed to be singing right now. I'm going to just sing along while you're preaching, right? Like it feels a little weird. And it's like, okay, there's there's a little bit of a change, and so I want to point out today that, that this, all, this whole message comes from a change that happens. Paul is talking about the Lord's Supper, and when he's using the phrase the Lord's Supper, it's different than the way we use the phrase the Lord's Supper, right? Because when I say the Lord's Supper to you, you think of like a little, a little, little cracker that kind of looks like that gum that you get in the machines, you know what I'm talking about? You know, those little... It kind of looks like that, but it doesn't taste the same. It doesn't taste at all, right? Like, so you got that bread and a little tiny cup of juice, but that even means different things at different churches. I've been to churches where it's, it's real loaves of bread that they've torn, and then, don't tell anybody, but they use real wine at some churches. Oh, this is just Welch's. You don't even know that. I didn't spike the, wine, the, the, the communion this morning. This is just Welch's. Isn't it Welch's? Right? Yeah. Okay. That's what I thought. I'm convinced that Baptists have stock in Welch's because that's like the only thing I've ever seen used for communion. Um, so anyway, but, but this is different, right? Like this is a different communion. This is a different Lord's Supper than what Paul is actually writing about in 1 Corinthians. See, for them, uh, the, the Lord's Supper was the, the whole of the church. They didn't have like different churches in Corinth. This is all the people of Corinth come together and they would have a meal together. And so when, the, when Paul is talking about the Lord's Supper, that's what he's talking about, is, is the whole church coming together to have a meal. It's very different than, than what we do with communion today. And again, not, not all change is bad. I think that what we do today is, is good and it has its purpose, but it's just different. So we need to understand that before we get into the passage. So picking up in verse 1, 
says, in the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to, the same, and to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have to, have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then, when you come together, is it not the Lord's Supper you eat? For when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry as another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. So again, this is a shared meal. This is not, um, this is not a meal that is like this. This is a, a shared meal which was usually hosted by a wealthy member of the community. Would, would host and have everybody come together. And so what was happening was that the wealthy person, that they're the person who is providing the space, they're the person who is providing the food because they're wealthy, um, they were kind of letting their wealthy friends have the better seats. Because if you think about, like, if we were to all come over to your house, I, I don't, as far as I know, you, none of y'all have a dinner table that could fit all of us, right? Nobody? I didn't think so. If, if so, I was going to be like, no, we're having lunch today. Um, so if you think about it, if you were to have all of us come to your house for, for a meal, there would be some people sitting around a table, and then some people might be uh, kind of in like just sitting, standing around the table, and then there might be some people in the living room, and then if, if there's all of us here, there might be some people standing on the porch, right? And so what happened is that the people, the wealthy people were saving the, the seats at the table for their wealthy friends. And so naturally... They got the better food because, you know, they're the ones picking out their portions and they're thinking, oh, there's plenty. I'll, I'll get this. And by the time you get to the people who are standing out on the porch, which in this case are the, the poorer people who are standing outside on the porch, they were just getting scraps. And so this time that was supposed to be a time of unity of the church coming together to share a meal unified as the body of Christ had become kind of this this hierarchy, uh, making people feel left out, pushing people aside based on their, their class. It had become really divisive. And so Paul is speaking. It's important for us to understand that that is what Paul is speaking to when he's talking about this. Is like, look, you guys are not treating each other well in even this thing. This thing that's supposed to be for you, for the people of the body of Christ, this is what you're supposed to be doing. And so... I think the thing that we can take away from it is that church is for everyone. Church is for everyone because Paul's really talking about the gathering together of believers. And I know, again, specifically he's talking about this meal, but I think the application for us today is, is for the church. Clouds Creek should never be a, a place that favors the families that have been here the longest or that favors the families that give the most. That's not what it's supposed to be. That's not, how we, that's not how we structure the things that we do as a church. It's just for the body of believers. And for us to have some kind of hierarchy based on, well, like, well, you know, these people give a lot, and so we have to make sure that we keep them happy. Or to say these people, you know, they've been here the longest, and so they should have more of a say, or we should make sure that they get in the front of the line. That's not really what it's supposed to be. The church is supposed to be the same for everyone. Some churches even specifically target the wealthy because they're trying to increase their giving. 
And it's like we will go target wealthier people because we know that they will give to the church. Now, again, there are some churches that are located in wealthy communities, and that's why they try to reach the wealthy, which I think is good. Um, but if, that's, if the reason you are targeting people is because of what they can give to you, you're missing the point. We're missing the point of church. Church is for everyone. And, and it seems like at face value, it's like, yeah, I think we would all agree on that. But then I think if you start to break down um, what was really happening, I said that the, those who were wealthy, those were the ones hosting the meals, right? So they're the ones who are giving of their space, giving of their time, giving of their money to make all of this food. So in a, in a fairness standpoint, it seems fair that it's like, well, those people that are the wealthier people, they should have a better seat because they're the ones who are, who are doing the work. So like, you know, well, I know Susan hosted last week, so she can sit at the table because she, you know, she gave so much. And so we'll make sure that she has a really good seat this week. You know, it, it seems kind of fair. It's like, well, these are the ones who are giving. We should give back to them first. But that's not what church is for. That's not what we're called to do. It's not about like, let's make sure that, you know, nobody's going in the hole and everybody's breaking even. Church is about sacrificing, giving to each other. We're not called to break even. We're called to give. I was listening to a, to a song this morning, actually, and the song, the chorus says, lay it all down, lay it all down, lay it all down at the feet of Jesus. And I was just, I was hit with this idea that there's so much of us that we try to hold on to, Right? There's so much that we try to hold on to. And I think the people of Corinth, they were, they were trying to make sure that they didn't lose money hosting the people of the church. Now, again, I'm not saying that that's necessarily what was happening, but in my mind, it, it kind of seems like that's how they might have justified it. But that's not what we're called to do. We're called to lay everything down at the feet of Jesus. And this is not on the screen, but this is in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Paul says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. See, what I think happens oftentimes is that we have these things that we want to hold on to. We have these things that it's like, well, you know, I, I want to serve God in whatever way I can in this way. But this is like, I think God understands that this is something that I can't. This is mine. This is, God understands that I can't, I can't give this. I can't. And, and it doesn't necessarily have to be money. It, it can be anything in your life that it's like, you know, I, I, know, that, I know that we have that, that church thing, but the game is on. I think I, it's okay. Like God knows if I miss church every now and then, it's, it's okay. And that's not the point, right? It's, it's not let me hold on to stuff and let me follow God as far as I can while, while still holding on to these things. What happens a lot, so often, Maddie and I were talking about this this week, is there are so many people who let their opinions decide what is truth. And it's like, well, this is what I think about this issue. And so I'm going to either uh, push away what God says or I'm going I'm to just keep God at an arm's length in this area because this is what I think is right. 
So we have these things that we hold on to. We have these things that we're not willing to lay it down at the feet of Jesus. Don't let your opinions decide what you think is true. Let truth dictate your opinions. Let scripture be what influences how you act, how you see the world, how you view any issue is because of your view of scripture. Don't view scripture based on your views. So often we we are not willing to lay it all down. And we want to hold on to things. And that's what happens is that's when church starts to not be for everyone. It's when it's like, I have this thing that I'm going to hold on to. And if you don't, if you don't feel the same way, then I'm going to push you to the side. I have this thing that this is important for me. And obviously I have wealth because I've managed my money well. And you're poor because you haven't managed your money well. So I'm not going to give to you because you haven't done anything to earn it. So often we want to hold on to things and not just live in a way that is sacrificial. We don't lay it all down before Jesus and we hold on to things and it pushes people away. When it comes to how we treat others, we have to lay down our judgments and take up how Jesus loves people. One thing I read this week as I was preparing for this message is the idea, and, and I, don't, it, I guess it just hit me in a, in a way that made it like I've never heard it before, Right? And it's this idea so often growing up in church, I've been in church for 32 years now, if you want to count the nine months I was before I was born, over 33 years now, right? Like I've been in church almost every week for 33 years, and I've always heard Jesus died for me. How many of you guys have heard that? Jesus died for me. Jesus died for me. And that's kind of what I've based my theology on. Jesus died for me. Jesus died for me. That is true. I don't want to tell you. To, I'm not here to say that's not true. <laughs> that is true. But the opposite is also true. Jesus died for you. Jesus died for your coworker. Jesus died for your family. Jesus died for the criminals that you see on the news that you think they deserve to die. Jesus died for those people. And so instead of having this attitude, this mindset of Jesus died for me, we now have the attitude of Jesus died for you. And that will totally change how we see the world. Because all of a sudden, we don't just have a server at a restaurant, and I just got done with church because Jesus died for me. We have, I have Jesus inside of me, and this person who is, who is talking to me right now, Jesus died for her. Jesus died for this guy, the guy who brings me my cheese dip when I sit down to eat Mexican food because I'm a good Baptist and that's what I do after church. When he brings me the cheese dip, Jesus died for that guy. Jesus died for the person who sits in the cubicle next to you or the person who, who has a, a yard that, that you're like, I'm not going to cut your grass. I'll cut right up to your grass and you've got to cut your own grass. I'm not even going to cut that strip that's like that no man's land that I'm not really sure if I cut it or if you cut it. Like that person... Jesus died for them too. But what's happened is we have gotten wrapped up in a gospel that Jesus died for me. Again, it is true. But Jesus also died for you. Jesus died for the people that sit next to you. Jesus died for the people you see at the grocery store. Not only is church for everybody, but Jesus is for everyone. He has died for everyone. The gospel isn't Jesus died for me. The gospel is Jesus died for all. 
But what happens if we have these things that we're not willing to lay down because we're focused on, on the me of it all, that's what we take away. It's Jesus died for me. If you don't believe that, that's on you. If, if you don't believe, you know, then, you know, that's not, you're going to end up in hell. That's not our attitude. Our attitude should be, no, Jesus died for you. When we come to church, we're supposed to be the place, this is supposed to be a place where we lay everything down to raise up Jesus, to raise up others. This is supposed to be a place that makes us all even. We are all children of God. None of us are better than anyone else. None of us are worse. None of us are better Christians because we've been to church longer or because we teach a Sunday school class or, or because we're a deacon or because we serve in this area. Like That doesn't make anyone worse and nobody's worse because they just got saved three weeks ago. This place is the equalizer. This place is we're here because of Jesus, period. None of us are better. None of us are worse. We are loved by the creator of the universe and we are equal in the eyes of the Lord because when he sees us, he sees Jesus. Sometimes it, when it comes to believers, we even differentiate the way the world does, the way the church at Corinth did then. And we're tempted to do that. It's easy to do that. We, are, we have this sin issue that we are all driven to compare ourselves or to compare other people. Because that's, and that's what the world does. That's all the world does. The world draws lines. The world divides. The world says, these people are different than these people. And so that makes it where you guys can't be friends anymore. What's interesting is that the word that Paul uses when he says, come together, over and over in this passage, he's like, when you come together, you do this. And when you come together, you do this. And when you come together, you do this. What's so cool is that word that Paul is using there for come together, also, it means physically and it means unified. So it literally means to physically gather together, but it also means to be unified. And so Paul is using it as a play on words because he says, look, you guys are coming together, but you are not coming together. You guys are coming together, but you are not coming together. You are not unified. You might be in the same space. You might all be eating some of the same food and gathered around the table, kind of. Like, you guys all might be in the same place, but you don't have unity. That's what we are called to have. It's a play on words that it's like, look, you guys are holding on to things. You are making divisions. You are pushing people away, and you are not united. Paul then turns his attention to what, set, to what, to what unifies us. And this is uh, uh, chapter 11, verse 23. It says, For I received what the, from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This is the new covenant of my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Is this Paul reminding them that it's, it's not just a physical coming together? This is not just a physical gathering. There is a spiritual element to this. Just like church is for everyone, church is spiritual. Church is spiritual. And I think that this is something that we can often forget. We come here physically. 
We gather together physically on, on Sundays, on Wednesday nights. We go through the motions. We're here. Our attendance box is checked. Sometimes we might even have emotions that we feel. But it's not the same as being here spiritually. There's an element of our time that should be different. And I think it's when I start talking about being spiritual in, uh, in the South, people are like, whoa, 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 let's calm down. I didn't put on my nice clothes in here today to, to get to be spiritual. I came here because this is a church and this is what I'm supposed to do, right? But see, let me tell you, there's so many reasons that you should not be here this morning. If you wanted to do something that was like, I want to do something that makes me feel good physically, I would still be asleep right now. Trust me, I could sleep till noon like it's nothing. You can ask my wife. I'll, I'll do it anytime she lets me. I would still be asleep right now. If I wanted to do something that feels good, you might be doing something else, right? If you wanted to do something that felt good, if I wanted to do something that, was, that felt good emotionally, I would be spending time with my wife and my kids. Now, we would be spending time together doing something. Maybe if I wanted to do something that was entertaining, if I wanted to be entertained, I for sure wouldn't come listen to me for half an hour, right? Like that's not, that doesn't, if you want to, if you just want to listen to some guy talk for 30 minutes, I can recommend tons of stand-up comedy that is fantastic. Guys that are way more entertaining than I am, right? So then why do you come here? Why do you come here? Because there's so many things that you could be doing that physically, it's like, this is way better than sitting in a wood-backed pew for, you know, an hour. Emotionally, there's things that you could do that, that, are, that are much more fulfilling emotionally. And there's way more things that are better, more entertaining. The girls are fantastic singers. I don't know you're going to find better singers than them. But you can definitely find a better guitar player than me and a better singer than me. And listen, just put on a CD of their worship music. It could be way better, Right? So why do you come? Why are you here? There has to be a spiritual aspect. Church is for your spiritual benefit. Because again, if you wanted to benefit any other way of your life, go do something else. If you're here to get a benefit other than spiritual, you're going to end up shortchanged and you're, it's not going to really fulfill you. What is the spiritual benefit of us coming together in this time? And that's why Paul, he's saying, look, you guys are coming together and you're eating food, but like, I don't think you understand what you're doing, right? He's like, you're just coming together and eating food and that's it. You have totally forgotten that there is a spiritual element to this. That's why we're take, partaking when we come together and we, we take this communion, we are partaking in the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. We're not just having a snack. Again, it's a very disappointing snack. If you came here hungry this morning and you thought this was the answer, this is not it. Church is not about the physical. It's not the physical building. It's not the physical people. Church is spiritual. I love that Steve has pointed this out a couple times on Wednesday nights and just in, in conversation that, that Jesus, in all of his communications... With people. He's pointing out that this is not physical, this is spiritual. I love that. I love that idea that this, Jesus is like, look, look, I, I know you've been told that this is what you should do, but in reality, it's a spiritual issue. You're focused on, like, I'm not gonna in anger call my brother a fool, but he's like, no, no, don't even be angry in your heart. This is a spiritual issue. 
I'm not saying just don't have an adultery, the physical part of sin. I'm saying even in your heart, do not lust after anyone else. It's a spiritual issue. The people wanted a physical ruler to physically save them from the oppression of Rome. And Jesus comes in, and sure, he is physical, but he is not a physical leader. He is a spiritual leader. And so when we as the modern day church come and we're looking for physical, we miss it. When we come and we say, I'm, and when we're not thinking of spiritual fulfillment, we're going to miss it. Don't settle for the physical. Don't settle for the physical idea of church. Jesus is spiritual. Physical change, when it comes to the change that Jesus makes in your life, there might be some physical change. You might, you might start taking care of your body better. You might, uh, you might actually physically be happier, right? But for the most part, physically, you're going to look about the same, Right? It's not like, oh, I'm saved now. I grow out my hair and a big beard or I shave my head and I shave my beard. Like that's, none of that is, all the change that happens to you is spiritual. So do you, when you came today, when you show up on Wednesdays, are you coming to church physically or are you coming to church spiritually? When we gather together, are you just here physically hoping that that'll make a difference? Are you spiritually expecting to encounter the creator of the universe? Paul goes on, continues in verse 27. He says, So then, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. This is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you eat, you should all eat together. Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home so that when you meet together, it will not, may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give further, further instructions. I love that Paul says that. Same thing I would say to y'all. If, like if we posted online, like, hey, we're having the Lord's Supper today, I would probably put, make sure you eat before you come, right? Don't, this is not your meal today. You still, you're going to walk out hungry. Don't cancel your reservation at the restaurant. You still need to go. I've always heard this verse, this passage used as a way that, that is, is um, if you are a lost person and you partake of communion, you are drinking judgment on yourself. But I don't think that's what this is talking about. Because if you think about in the context of, of who Paul is writing to and what the situation he's writing to, Paul is writing to believers, Paul is writing to a church that was gathering together, not, not for this. This is different, right? We talked earlier about how this has changed. This is the gathering together of the believers. And so he's saying, if somebody who is in an unworthy manner partaking of this, if there's somebody who's totally missed the point, if you're, if you're thinking, I'm going to eat, if you, if you walked up to this table and you took a handful of crackers and the whole plate of juice back to your seat because you were like, I'm hungry, I need to eat, that's what he's talking about. 
If you miss the point, Paul's talking about what we just talked about. If you're just here to eat physically and you're not partaking of this spiritually, you're missing the point. That's when you're going to get in trouble. That's when you're going to be, that's, that's the trouble. The trouble is not if you don't know and you don't understand and you partake of it. The trouble is if you know better and you still miss the point. If you take away the spiritual aspect of the communion and you're just physically showing up to do it because it's what we've always done, or if you're just doing it because you want to look like a saved person, but in your heart you're not really sure, if there's not a spiritual aspect to it, this morning I would advise you to just, just skip it. He doesn't say if you don't take it, you're not saved, right? So don't think that there's no judgment. If you're at a place this morning that you're like, I'm not sure that spiritually I can take this communion, don't take it. There's no judgment. Nobody's going to be paying attention to you anyway. Everybody pays attention to themselves. For those of you, pay attention to yourself, right? Like, check yourself. That's the whole, again, don't take it in a way that you're judging who else is in it isn't taking it. But this is a time that we should enter into, not physically, but spiritually. It has to be a spiritual aspect. Otherwise, we might as well just pack some Lunchables, right? It's not just cheese and crackers. There's a spiritual aspect of this. It should be a wake-up call to all of us who are saved taking communion. Am I taking this for the right reasons? Am I spiritually taking this communion? When we, when we come to church, when we come to this place, come with a bigger expectation. When you show up next week, I hope you come with a bigger expectation. Don't just come expecting a good message or some good music or even to have an emotional moment because the music was good and it was just a, it felt good. Set your expectations on the spiritual. Come to church with an expectation on a spiritual encounter with the living God. Is that what we think when we come? Is that what we think when we're scrambling to load kids in the car and arguing with each other and you're just yelling that it's like, I don't care, put your shoes on and get in the car? Are we focused on the spiritual? Are we headed to church with a spiritual expectation or is it just, oh, we need to go to church? When you, when you load up your things in the car, is it just, oh, I want to see some people. I haven't seen my friends in a while. I want to go to church to see my friends. Or is it, I need to go to church because I haven't? And if I'm going to be okay with God, if, I'm, if my life is going to go well, I need to go to church. Or do we come with a spiritual expectation? Set your expectations higher. It's not a social club, it's not a concert or a public speaking event. This is an opportunity for us to connect with the creator of the universe who loved us so much that even though we broke the relationship, he sent his son to save all of humanity from our sins and to restore us back to him. It's not just for you. It's for the people you work with. It's for your friends. It's for your family. It's for your neighbors. This place is for everyone. Jesus died for everyone. And this is a spiritual thing, not a physical thing. Let me pray for us and then I'll lead us through how we're going to do communion today. God, I thank you 
I thank you that, that church, that our relationship with you is for a spiritual benefit. God, for those of us who have been showing up and expecting to get another, some other kind of goodness from church and have often walked away thinking, eh, it was just okay. God, we would set our expectations higher. That we wouldn't fall into the trap that the people that Paul is writing to had fallen into of just making it a physical gathering about just physically being together. But that we would come in unity as people who have been washed clean, who have been saved from hell, who have been redeemed by the death of Jesus. That we would come together unified in spirit, searching, reaching, desperately trying to connect with the creator of the universe. God, I pray as we enter now into this time of communion that it would not just be a physical eat, drink, sit down, but God, it would be a spiritual moment that we would come looking to get something more than just a little good feeling or an emotional affirmment. But God, that we would come seeking to spiritually connect with you, to spiritually worship and praise you for the sacrifice you made for all. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.